so eager to please you, so eager to know you. We want to know you more. We want to represent you rightly to our children and to all that we come in contact with. You are a wonderful, precious Savior. I pray that you would be here in our midst, in the person of your Holy Spirit, ministering to our hearts. Um, help us to be receptive to the specific things that you want to say to each of us. Teach us, O oh Lord. Guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh-oh, did this go down while I was? <laughs> okay. Okay, so I I'd like to share with you uh, this afternoon the struggles as a mother that I had when our children were young. Uh, this is a message, a kind of a testimony message that um, I have found it resonates in the hearts of many mothers, but also a number of fathers have actually come to me uh, asking me for passages or scriptures that I have shared during this message. So I pray that it will, um, that it will find a spot in your heart, that the Lord will, will use it to, um, to encourage you. So I grew up hearing stories from my mother of um, her very happy family life with her parents and six siblings. And I had decided long ago, before I met my husband, that I wanted to have 10 children. But my husband thought it would be more practical to have two. And so we compromised, and we decided that if, if, the Lord, if it was the Lord's will, that uh, we would feel blessed if we could have four. And... Uh, the Lord consented, and we have four children that we love very dearly. You've met Sean. We have three others, the oldest of which is in, um, in Africa with her husband, um, serving as a missionary in, uh, with Congo Frontline Missions uh, with their two babies there. Uh, they're actually in Africa half the year and half the year um, back here in the States. And we have our youngest daughter who just got married um, a short time ago, Natasha, she was president of GYC the last term. Some of you may know her. And then there's Joshua, who's just moved to Weimar. But um, we are just praising God. You remember what Sean said last night, those of you who are here? We are debtors. Grace has done marvelous things in our life. And we, the Lord is not finished with us. And we have failed in many things. But um, we have been stubbornly persevering and spending, giving God our best, spending the first and best part of our day with the Lord, learning at the feet of Jesus. And it is bearing fruit, and we're excited. So, um, so I grew up enthusiastic about the idea of having a big, happy family. But by the time I had three children, I was feeling quite challenged. And although I loved them dearly and enjoyed them thoroughly, my dreams of a blissfully, having a blissfully happy family were not um, being realized. It was apparent that even though I enjoyed them um, thoroughly, I was not equipped to handle successfully the three I had, let alone the ten that I said I wanted to have. You see, I would follow a pattern of patiently um, putting up with 
they're uh, basically indulging the children's misbehavior when they disobeyed or when they fought, uh, when they made the house tremendously disorderly. Uh, so I would try to be patient with them, but my human endurance would eventually run out, and I would, as I would be completely exhausted, I would lose my temper and then use a very stern approach to make them listen and obey. And I will never forget one memorable, one memorable day when I had done a lot of patiently putting up with thinking that I was being patient. That's, that, it wasn't the real fruit of the Spirit. Um, but I was trying to be patient in my, in my flesh. And I was um, eager for some help when my husband got home. So I was eagerly looking forward to him coming home so that he could give me some relief from my exhaustion. And I was disappointed by his phone call letting me know that he would not be coming um, he was um, practicing OB at the time, and he had to stay. He was on OB call, had to stay to supervise a resident doing a delivery. So at that point, disappointed, I decided to get my children in bed as early as possible, and I began to try to put an end to their foolishness and get them to listen and obey. And they were not quickly cooperating. Has that ever happened to you <laughs> with your children? So I lost my temper, and uh, I raised my voice, and I challenged my oldest, who was only five, with the question, when will you ever learn to listen and be considerate of your mother? And so to my dismay, that day, she responded with words that seemed too painful for her tender age, she said to me, first of all, she looked at me along with the others in silent dread because here's mom yelling again. And she said to me, never. I'll never please you. I'll never be able to please you. I was shocked by her words, and I fell silent. I put them to bed quietly and filled with shame and regret. I just lay in bed and I let the hot tears flow. As I cried, I wondered how can I be so hurtful to children that I love so dearly? I had thought of myself as a loving mother. I often played with them. I entered into their, into their childish play, and I was very affectionate. But the message that my five-year-old conveyed to me that day in those words was not the fruit of a love relationship. And I knew it. For the first time, I saw clearly the ugliness of the sin of angry words and the devastating effect upon the soul. Proverbs 27, 4 says, Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And Proverbs 26 refers to words again, words that, that have fearful power as wounds that go down into the innermost parts of the belly. 
I cried to God in despair that day. I thought, how can I learn to manage my children in a loving, God-honoring way? How could I be effective in teaching them to obey, teaching them to love Jesus? How could I be effective in teaching them, for instance, the value of orderliness instead of reacting to the, to the disorderliness that they would bring about by speaking words of condemnation? In Manuscript 24, 1887, the question is asked, is Christ using cutting words, stern criticism, and unkind suspicion toward his people who commit faults? Is that how Christ deals with us? No. He takes every infirmity into account. He acts with discernment. He knows every one of our failings, she says, but he uses patience. Later, she says, the greatest insult that we can in inflict upon him is to pretend to be his disciples while manifesting the spirit of Satan in our words, our dispositions, and our actions. Have you ever, like me as a parent, while claiming to be Christ's disciple, manifested the spirit of Satan to your children in your speaking? James 1.26 states, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. Friends, the Spirit of God convicted me that day of my sin, making me realize that my religion was in vain. I wanted the solution to my problem. I desperately wanted it. I didn't want to hurt my little girl that way. But I would not find it at that point, right at that juncture, because I la lacked an element that is crucial in achieving victory over besetting sins. And that is that I lacked the habit of consistent, daily, earnest study of God's word, specifically geared to finding the solutions to the problems that plague me in my daily experience. So this, we're talking more about topical study. So I didn't have it. So I was looking for answers, but answers were not quickly forthcoming. It was very difficult to have victory over my temper. I had inherited a t my temper from my mother, who inherited it from her father, who was famous within our family for having a hot temper. He was a man from Spain. And here I was, exhibiting the same weaknesses that my mother exhibited with me. Very hard to come away from that kind of a history, but it's possible by the grace of God. The Holy Spirit again brought... Um, spoke to my heart in a very powerful way. The first time I listened to a message on surrender from the Ministry of Restoration International. This time, listening to that message, I took a step in the right direction. I made a choice to be daily in the Word of God from then on. And I have made, I have kept that commitment by God's grace my heart was ripe and ready to receive that message. And I decided that the day that I would decide that, you know, I didn't need 
to go to the Bible would be the day that I decided, you know what, I don't need any food. I don't need any food for my physical body. Well, you know what, I always feel like I need food. I need the Word of God more desperately. It is my necessary food for my soul. I need it more desperately than I need food for my body. However, there was one important thing that I failed to understand. So I started. I started getting into the Word every day. I started. I, I heard a recommendation um, from someone that every parent, especially every parent starting out, should read several books for sure um, and keep rereading them. And that was Child Guidance, Adventist Home, um, Counsels to Parents, Teachers, and Students, um, Fundamentals of Christian Education, and the book Education. So I got into that. And I got into the Word. I got, um, I exercised my mind with the Word of God. But I failed to understand right at that point how crucial is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in, in nurturing a godly life and a godly family. I did not clearly see right at that starting point that this vision that I now had, that it was possible. By the way, in the meetings where I heard this message, I met other families who were applying these principles, and I, I saw for the first time what I considered to be well-ordered families, obedient children. So I, and I thought, okay, the answer is the word of God, and I'm going to do it. Well, I fail to understand that this is only possible not just being in the word in your humanity, but by God's grace through submission to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life first. So what happens? What happens when you are a passionate person and you are daily in the word, but you're not being sensitive to the spirit? Guess what happens? You become an excellent Pharisee. And that's what I did. So instead of the old approach of trying to endure the children's misbehavior until I couldn't stand that any longer and then I would yell, this time I began to readily and consistently correct all wrongdoing and teaching what was right. I became a full-time reformer. Actually, more like a full-time scolder. I took time to teach and admonish I was going to child guidance, and then I would teach them everything that I'd learned. And I expected obedience. And then I was frustrated and discouraged because all my teaching and correction did not seem to yield that peaceable fruit of righteousness that I was looking for. The Lord was very merciful to me early on in this process, and he sent me a warning that I chose to heed, and I'm so thankful for it. And that warning came in the way of my watching the, the experience of another family. And this mother was, all, was a friend of mine. And she had also gone to the same meetings. She had also been inspired. And she had also become a full-time reformer. But one day, this mother shared with me that her whole family had turned against this, this new enthusiasm of hers and that they had let her know in no uncertain terms that they did not care for the person that she had become in the pursuit of godliness. 
The Holy Spirit used that as an arrow to my heart that day. I knew that message was for me, and I knew that was me. That I was using this approach to bring about reformation that, that was really of human devising, and it would never bring about success by heaven's standards. You see, because it is possible in our humanity to secure outward compliance. If we are mean enough, firm enough, and our children know that we are bigger than them, we can achieve that. But willing obedience that comes from the heart is only possible when the Holy Spirit is engaged and is blessing our work and, is, and we are role modeling the fruits of the Spirit. So at that point, I acknowledged my insufficiency and I sensed my need of a Savior. And we have a, a compassionate Savior that is willing to teach us and to guide us. So I realized that I needed him to teach me and not just um, use the word of God in unrighteousness. And he began to slowly unfold precious truths from his word. And he also brought people into my life through his providence that were good role models and that exemplified those principles that I was learning. So thus, over a period of years, he began teaching me to speak what I now call the language of encouragement. And the language of encouragement is a language that edifies and inspires. It is a language that includes correction. Please don't leave here today thinking that I'm just advocating talking nicely, only using sweet words with our children and, and, and not correcting them, you know, not allowing them to suffer any consequences. It won't work because of our sinful human nature. So we're not talking about abandoning correction, but we're talking about a balance and not a fault-finding spirit, which is what, what, I, what I was doing. When I started to learn what to do, I would point all the wrong things they were doing. This language includes correction, and it, and it can convict of sin, but it points with hope to a high holy standard rather than condemning and discouraging others tempting them to give up it is a language that every father and every mother needs to learn to speak every father and mother that wants to instill in their child a love for god and a love for godliness needs to learn to speak a language of encouragement it is a language that the scriptures often refer to, especially in the book of Proverbs. Let me give you some examples. Proverbs 16, 24 uh, says, Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Proverbs 25, 11, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. And Proverbs 10, verse 11, The mouth of the righteous is a, is a well of life, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. It was violence, friends, that was covering my mouth that day when my five-year-old was convinced that she would never be able to please me, probably also becoming convinced that she would never be able to please God because we stand in the place of God to our children. We represent him. Their picture of God first comes through us. 
It is a language characterized by self-control. Proverbs 10, 19 says, In the multitude of words, and I quoted this earlier, there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. In the rest of our time, I want to share with you five habits to cultivate in learning to speak the language of encouragement. And the first habit is this. Refrain from speaking sharp, harsh words of censure and fault-finding. James chapter 3 describes the powerful instrument for evil that our unsanctified tongues can be. The tongue is described as a fire, a world of iniquity that defileth the whole body. We are told that no man can tame it. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. James concludes in, in verses 10 through 12 with an appeal. Brethren, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. It was my unsanctified tongue that would say to my children, how many times do I have to tell you? Or I've told you a thousand times. Or when will you ever learn? And my classic line, sadly, was the following. How many times do we have to go over these principles? We've gone to the Word of God to learn the reasons for, for example, orderliness. But it makes absolutely no difference with you. This, friends, is a sad mixture of the holy and the profane quoting or referring to the word of God with a tongue that is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Indeed, this ought not so to be. Listen to this passage. In giving reproof or counsel, many indulge in sharp, severe speech, words not adapted to heal the wounded soul. By these ill-advised expressions, the spirit is chafed, and often the erring ones are stirred to rebellion. That's from Christ Object Lessons, page 337. We must learn to seek the wisdom of God. He that refraineth his lips is wise. Proverbs 10.19 says, um, actually that was Proverbs 10.19. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 7 states that there is a time to be silent and a time to speak. And we need to learn to recognize that when we feel that agitation of self rising in us, that is not a time to speak. It is a time to be silent and to cry out to God for deliverance. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. If we are daily learning in the school of Christ, he will impart his power. If we are seeking the Holy Spirit with humble hearts and we're taking to heart these lessons for our own personal lives, he will teach us that we can uh, learn to rule our spirit and refrain from speaking words of anger. There is nobility in silence, friends. When one is stirred to anger, there's nobility in silence. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth the spirit than he that taketh the city. So the first strategy is, to re is one of restraint. 
refrain from speaking those words. I learned to flee to God when I felt that agitation of self before I dealt with correcting my children. The second um, one is to learn to replace the language of the old man with the language of encouragement. And here's a promise. The Lord will help every one of us where we need help the most in the grand work of overcoming and conquering self. Let the law of kindness be upon your lips and the oil of grace in your heart. The Holy Spirit must be received and brought into your character. Then it will be as a holy fire, bringing, giving forth incense which will rise up, not from lips that condemn, but as a healer of the souls of men. The Lord Jesus will be your helper. Through his grace, we shall learn to cultivate love, to educate ourselves, to speak kindly and tenderly. Now, did you hear those words? This is, uh, the first quote was from letter 84. Um, the second one from Review and Herald, uh, 1, 294, 1894. Did you hear the words learn, cultivate, educate ourselves to speak kindly? These words imply that the change from speaking the language of the old man to, to speaking the language of encouragement comes through a re-education process coupled with the anointing of the Holy Spirit who actually empowers us. That re-education process takes intense personal effort, friends. It takes time and practice. The old habits don't disappear overnight. Habits which form character take cultivation. Inspiration tells us that the work of grace upon the heart is not an instantaneous work. That's in Evangelism 287. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 4, 7, Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. And we've quoted this before today. Exercise takes effort, takes repetition, discipline, and thorough practice. It results in proficiency. And this process, which involves earnest human effort, blessed by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, will yield the fruit of righteousness. It involves the process of putting off the old man and putting on the new man. So now let's talk about, in this situation, what are some practical things that I could do to help, to cooperate with God to make that change? Well, I could restructure situations in my life to prevent the old process and facilitate new habits. For instance, if getting up at 7 o'clock in the morning to get out of the house by 8 for music lessons always results in you losing your temper, guess what? There's a very practical solution. Start getting up at 6 to give yourself enough time and not place yourself unnecessarily under temptation. Better yet, rise at 5 and spend an hour at the feet of Jesus and then still have ample time to get ready. Another practical step is to seek the help of God immediately at the moment of temptation. And this is what I learned to do. Ask the Lord to give you sensitive ears to hear the promptings of his Holy Spirit. And when you hear those promptings, drop what you're doing, if at all possible, and go to your knees. I learned to tell my children Mommy needs Jesus right now. I will be back. And I ran to my room, and I would get on my knees, and I would ask the Lord to subdue self in me and to give me his peace, his divine energy to enable me 
to represent him rightly to my children as I sought to correct them and discipline them because they do need discipline and correction. We cannot disciple them after Christ if we just talk sweetly only and do nothing more than that. One other practical step is to make yourself accountable to someone. If you are often failing in an area, seek the help of your husband. Seek the help of your wife. Seek the help of another person close to you to pray, pray for you. To call to your heart when you begin to operate in self, as, as in the case of my weakness. Uh, and I, I had this happen to me actually without prearrangement. You see, when God began to give me victory over my temper, our children were the ones who benefited the most. And they became so sensitive that thereafter, upon the earliest sign of intensity in my voice, as I was speaking, our oldest would say to me, uh, Mom, do you want to go pray first? You see, they had become accustomed to watching me leave the scene, go to my bedroom, and pray. And it didn't take them long to figure out that Mom was a much nicer person to deal with when she had just been on her knees. So this was the case where my children began to hold me accountable. Here's another practical um, help in the process of exercising yourself unto godliness. Take pen and paper and write down phrases that you habitually use with your children when you're dealing with them in the flesh and actually go to the Word and replace those phrases that you often say with encouraging words or biblical admonitions. And then you practice these positive statements, these encouraging statements, rather than condemning the wrongdoing without giving them hope. So instead of saying, you are being so rude, you can say, children, let's cultivate courtesy and kindness. Instead of saying, you've made a mess again, you can point them to God's standard to say, let's strive for heaven's orderliness. Heaven is a beautiful place. It's an orderly place. And we're told that our God is a God of order, not of confusion. Instead of saying, you've done it again, when will you ever learn? Say, encourage them with, let's go to our knees right now. Let's pray. We can be empowered to overcome. The Bible says we can be holy, even as he is holy. Instead of saying, stop the fighting, say, let's choose the way of peace and joy in our home. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another, Romans 12.10. Words of encouragement, friends, can be a powerful motivator for right doing. We are admonished to let our speech be always with grace, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Use biblical words of encouragement because they can be the most powerful motivator because they are charged if you seek the Spirit. If you're not just teaching in the flesh, the words of God are charged with the power that is inherent in the Word of God. They quicken the soul and they give life. Number three, give this issue. Whatever your besetting sin is, and you can just fill in the blank, give this issue high priority in your um, 
prayer life. Consecrate your tongue daily and pray for the tongue of the wise. Use the scriptures to describe and to claim the promises of God. Isaiah 55, 11 promises us that God's word does not return unto us void, but it accomplishes that which he pleases. God's biddings are enablings. We can accomplish them by his, by his grace. So pray daily, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Pray for the mouth of the righteous, which is a wellspring of life, or the tongue um, of the just, which is as choice silver. There is power in prayer of which we have hardly begun to scratch the surface, friends. In John 5.14, it says that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So when we ask for grace to exercise self-control, we can have the confidence that that grace is freely given us. Not only that, but if you think of the principle that it is a law of nature that our thoughts and feelings are encouraged as we give them and strengthen, as we give them utterance, we can apply this principle. You see, Prayer gives me an opportunity as I speak to my Lord to affirm the will of God concerning me and to boldly declare the Lordship of Christ over my life, to express often and to keep in the forefront of my mind the words of Christ, the promises that I'm claiming to affirm how important Christ is to me and how resolute I am in my decision to yield to him. Friends, the mere giving utterance to these noble desires and truths strengthens those convictions in my own heart, in my own life, and drives them deeper into my own heart. I then find myself more tuned in, more tuned in to heavenly realities, more easily entreated by the Spirit of God, more sorrowful right after I have fallen, right after I have even entertained a selfish thought. The Holy Spirit has made me so, so sensitive that he, he drives that to my heart right away. And I'm sorrowful. And I'm more eager to cooperate with God, not to have interruptions in my union and communion with him. So let me give you an example of the prayers that I journal on a daily basis as I'm closing my time in the Word. And this is how I make the study of God's Word practical to give me victory over my sins. So let me read this for you. My Lord, I want my day-to-day heart's devotion to Christ to be supreme. So I choose to cooperate with you to banish every idol from my heart. Every idol is anything that proves to be so important to us that we are actually, in attaining that, we're actually enticed to sin, to give in to the devil. Let me give you just a quick example. If punctuality becomes so important to me that I'm willing to be rude to someone because they were late, that is an idol. Because the principle of love... um, is such that I should be um, easily entreated by the Spirit of God. I should be patient, forbearing. So in my prayer, 
I ask the Lord to banish every idol from my heart. I know that in my heart I am worshiping something or someone every waking moment of the day. I want that someone to be you only. So I choose to set my deep, deepest affections on you and allow you, oh Lord, to displace anything else that I have idolized. You have made it clear that, that you want the undivided worship, love, and loyalty of my heart. Therefore, I will focus my affections, my thoughts, my words, my uh, choices and motives on glorifying you. You are the greatest desire of my heart, my refuge. I will love thee, O oh Lord, my strength. You are my rock and my fortress and my redeemer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. As David's passionate desire and longing was after you, like the deer that pants for the water brooks, so you are the greatest longing of my soul. Therefore, I will set my heart on serving you and seeking after your pleasure. I will delight in doing your will. Do you hear all the, all the scriptures that I'm actually quoting in my prayer? Psalm 40, verse 8. I will delight in doing your will. No matter what the cost, I will trust you. Implicitly, my soul will follow hard after you. Your right hand will uphold me. With your help, I will speak words that edify. I will cultivate a grateful heart, a spirit of praise, a joyful attitude that is not dependent on my feelings at any given moment. I will spend time thinking about, daydreaming about, planning for, and setting my heart on you, on my Lord. I will remember you upon my bed, and I will meditate on you in the night seasons. I will delight in your word and partake of it freely. I will seek you with all my heart and soul, and I will ever endeavor to please you regardless of my circumstances. My goal is not personal happiness. It is pleasing my Lord and being sanctified by his truth as he prayed for me in John 17. I will be mindful that I am part of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that I should show forth the praises of him who has called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. With my whole heart will I seek you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. In your own self you bore all my sins, including my sin of angry words. In your body, on the tree, that I, being dead to sin, dead to angry words, should live unto righteousness. By your stripes I am healed. May your kingdom in my heart be an everlasting kingdom. May your dominion over my life endure throughout all generations. Friends, I often go back and I read those words. I read those prayers that I have journaled. And when I, especially when I'm experiencing a dry spell, which we all do in our devotional life, I go back to those things 
and I gain a very powerful encouragement. There is power in words, power for good or for evil. And rather than using words that will wound the soul of our sons and daughters, I want to utter words that have the power to edify, to build them up into the measure of Christ, to encourage, to strengthen them, and to strengthen my own soul as I, um, as I repeat things that actually edify my own soul. So give victory over besetting sins high priority in your prayer life. It is powerful. The fourth one is to diligently foster a positive, cheerful, loving, encouraging atmosphere in the home where affection is freely shown. And I'm not, I'm not going to go into this one at length um, because we're actually going to cover this in, in our last message um, on uh, making home happy. So the fifth one is express praise and appreciation to your children for every act or attitude that is praiseworthy for every effort to do what is right. So I used to have a problem finding things in my children that I thought were worthy of praise. But friends, in time I discovered, the Lord brought it to my heart that it was my fault-finding spirit that was ever seeking to correct and not to dish out praise or appreciation. Child Guidance, page uh, 264 says, strengthen every good impulse, encourage every noble action. In page 141, she says, children need appreciation and encouragement. So the Lord began to teach me to look for little things to which um, I could respond with delight to encourage my children. And one day the girls and I were in the car. We were running errands, and, and we left the youngest one in the car. Um, and, well, we pulled up to just the front of this place where we were picking up something. And Natasha stayed in the car, and she was looking through a number of tapes to, you know, choose something to listen to. And out of everything that was there, and there were many character-building stories and but she chose a Desire of Ages tape to listen to. And this was back in the days of tapes. And I seized that opportunity. As God began teaching me how to encourage, I seized that opportunity to say, Honey, what a joy it is to me to see you choose to redeem the time by choosing to listen to the words of life, the inspired words in the, in the middle of the day. And you see the praise that she got that day from her mother and actually from her older sister who, as we came into the car, her sister also spoke words of praise. That, friends, is a powerful inducement to motivate her to make that choice again. So express praise and appreciation for every small um, effort and, and progress they make in areas where you're trying to teach them. So in closing, I will just repeat the five, um, the five habits to cultivate. Number one, refrain from speaking sharp, harsh words of censure and fault-finding. Number two, learn to replace the language of the old man with the language of encouragement. Number three, give this issue high priority in your prayer life. Number four, diligently foster a positive 
cheerful, loving, encouraging atmosphere where affection is freely shown. We'll talk more about that in the next hour. And number five, express appreciation to your children for every act or attitude that is praiseworthy, every effort to do what is right. May God help us. The Lord wants to, to bless our efforts. But the most powerful way that we can help and teach our children is through the influence of our own personal godly lives. So let's, um, I guess... I'm going to ask Sean to come and share the song.